Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. Today I have my childhood friend, Spectacular Blue Smith. Yes, sir. So normally on this show, I interview a lot of recovering addicts. Obviously, that's just like my demographic. But I interview anyone that has a story of like redemption, victory, hope, which you obviously do. It's funny because like, you know, we've known each other since we were kids. Mm-hmm. And I can verify that like your real name is Spectacular Blue Smith. Yeah, that's my birth name. Yeah, Birth name, yeah. You know, you know, when you come from the streets in the hood, they tell you, hey, don't say my government out loud. <laughs> I think the cat out of the bag right yeah. now. No, nah, but yeah, for sure. That's my brand, Spectacular Smith, mm-hmm. but it's my birth name. Cool. I just want to talk about, you know, how you grew up, what it was like to start Pretty Ricky. Mm-hmm. You know, the trials and tribulations you went through, you know, what childhood was like, all the bullshit you dealt with. I know you had like a lot of issues with the brand itself, with your family, with your dad. You know, I remember I remember going over to your house as like a kid. It was just so different than like anyone else's house. You know, I remember we'd be in the room or something and I would turn the lights on. And I remember Special would be like, yo, what you doing? And he'd turn the lights off. And I'm like, what's up? He's like, bro, we got to pay half the light bill. And I remember being like what <laughs> we're yeah. like 12 yeah you know i mean for my pops everything with him was about preparing us for the future mm-hmm. that was always his thing and he always wanted to keep us humble so that was one of the things and teaching us about money at a young age mm-hmm. so many kids they get everything handed to them their parents never really teach them much about money. They just get out into the real world and jack their credit up or they go broke just making bad decisions. Mm-hmm. And he tried to help us with that coming up early about Being credit. Being conscious and, of it. Yeah, yeah, and understand how to manage it and how to respect money, how to make money, the mm-hmm. whole nine yards. So when my brother was telling you to turn them lights off, it's because he understood it was going to come out that pocket, mm-hmm. right? And my dad really had us like some drill sergeant military yeah because i don't remember seeing him at home ever but he like was never home but everybody was always on point you know <laughs> yeah so i knew like like whatever he said when he was home like got followed you know and yeah. i you know so with your brothers was there a time where you guys because you guys live somewhere else and then all moved in with him because at one point he just wanted to say like look if you guys want to live with me this is what it's going to be like Nah, he forced me to come live with him. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't really my choice, but I'm happy he forced me. Mm-hmm. I was heading down the wrong path. I started, you know, getting into... I feel like you all were. 
right? Is that maybe, what, maybe, maybe you know? I got into some craziness, just getting around the wrong mm-hmm. crowd. Start buying guns at a young age, What's like thirteen. Yeah, yeah, middle school was selling weed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just doing a little entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial stuff, stuff. But thinking that that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was. Um, it was never really a thing for me to focus on that type of stuff. It was never for me, like, you know, I wasn't a drug dealer or nothing like that. Like, oh, it got all this stuff. Yeah. But, you know, just to be like, yo, hey, you can sell this and you can make this. Okay, well, let me get this from you and let mm-hmm. me sell it to him and make a little arbitrage off yeah. the deal, right? But just even me even thinking about that could have led to something really crazy. Of course. And, um, and just being around that environment. You kind of feel like that's what you need to do, mm-hmm. and that's what you had to do to make money. And my dad just showed me it was other ways to make money. Legally, yeah. Yeah. Did you, Slick, Special, Blue, all move in around the same time? So I moved in after Diamond moved in. Okay. So Diamond is baby blue for those who are listening. And then Special, he was on and off. But then once he seen everybody together, then he moved in. Mm-hmm. And then my cousin moved in. So it was just like all <laughs> of the boys just like yeah. in one house just having fun. Mm-hmm. The girls, the music. Like mm-hmm. it was just a vibe. Yeah, I remember there's a recording studio. We would see Trick Daddy there. We would see Trina. Mm-hmm. You know, we would see, you know. So, you know, for people that don't know, your dad was already in the music business. Um, you guys all... Moved in with him. I live down the street from y'all. Mm-hmm. When did it change from like, you know, we're just living here to like, you guys are going to be a group? Well, by the time we hit Broward, mm-hmm. we was already staying in Miami together. And my brothers were already into it. Like in middle school, they was already kind of transitioning to the rap stuff. They was mm-hmm. doing gangster rap. And then you have my older brother. He was the one leading it. He was the first person I wanted to be a rapper. Slick. It was Fat Boy. Fat Boy. Yeah. So he was the first one who wanted to be a rapper. And then Baby Blue seen him. Fat Boy's the real Pretty Ricky, right? 100%. Okay. Just so people don't know, because when people say Pretty Ricky, they think they're talking about you. And I'm just like, no, that's Fat Boy. Yeah, yeah. So that was back in the (laughs) day, right? So so like the day one. That's Pretty Ricky. The day one fans know his name was Papa Smurf first. And he (laughs) had a song called superstar uh-huh. and when he had the song called superstar in one of the lines he said they call me pretty ricky ricky i like the girl that's thicky 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 so when he said that everybody used to walk up to him and say oh you pretty ricky ricky so my mm-hmm. dad just changed his name to pretty ricky ricky okay and then it came a time where we used to perform our name was the mavericks mm-hmm. his name was pretty ricky it's pretty ricky and the mavericks I and then that's that. when we merged it, the Pretty Ricky and the Mavericks, because they merged us together as one group. Okay. And then we used to perform. And then when I got up there, I freaking went crazy because uh-huh. I was I was always in dance groups since the third grade. Wow. And when I went up there, you know, I'm a trained dancer, uh-huh. baby. I'm a trained hood dancer, right? <laughs> that's it. You know, so I'm up there going crazy and all the girls just was going nuts. Mm-hmm. And after the fact, they'll walk up to me and say, oh, are you Pretty Ricky? Mm-hmm. And they used to always point me out to the point where they was like, all right, well, you just pretty Ricky at this point. Mm-hmm. My brother split from the group because he was just older. He didn't really mesh with the the look we had. Mm-hmm. And uh, he transitioned out of the group. And then I became pretty Ricky. Mm-hmm. And then we got signed to Atlanta Records. And it was a country group called the Mavericks. So we just dropped yeah, the Mavericks that. and just kept pretty, pretty Ricky. Ricky. And it was IE at the end. And then the CEO of Atlanta Records said, hey, Put the Y, take the IE, 
It's okay. more masculine. Yeah. And that's when it was Pretty Ricky. All right. So what year was this that like became official Pretty Ricky? I think like 2001. 2001? Yeah. You're probably like what, 10th grade? Or is this after high school? This was around like, this was around like 19th grade. So when you would go do shows, just so people know, like what were the first couple of shows like? Well, for me, it was it was easy mm-hmm. because I was always performing. Since the third grade, I used to do talent shows and I used to dance wow. on stage at the National Guard. If you're from Miami, you mm-hmm. know these, you know, Cayocho, um, Arabian Nights Festival. These are all the huge events in mm-hmm. Miami. And I was always performing. Mm-hmm. So when I got on stage with my brothers, I never was a rapper at first. One day they was like, hey, get speckled verse. Let's see. If you could rap. You know, and I started rapping. Oh, you should have heard my first verse. It was mm-hmm. horrible, bro. <laughs> oh, my God. And I taught myself how to rap. That's why if you listen back to yeah. the first album, you can kind of hear mm-hmm. I was in all, you know, I was learning while we was putting out music. Yeah. So they gave me a verse and... It was history from there because all the girls was just going nuts over mm-hmm. me. And it was like, all right, put spec on all the songs. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's up. So how was your transition from like, you know, being a performer to like being a kid? Because at that time you're still young, you know what I mean? Like how did you handle like going to school? Did you think about school? Was your brothers telling you to go to school? Like what was your dad saying? Was your dad telling you to go to school? My dad really never cared about school. Yeah. He didn't care about, hey, bring your grades home and all. He didn't really care about that. My mom did. Mm -hmm. And I used to bring my grades home. And then I made it a thing to bring my grades home. And then one time my grades got bad. And then, <laughs> then I went in, I went in, and I started like scraping the D, and yeah. I like made the D a C. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the teachers called out, told my dad, and I got in uh, to the suspension. Yeah, they put me in detention, and then I went in detention, and that's when I met all that, everybody else who was doing other yeah. bad things, and, and I was like, oh, this is my crowd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then of I course. started learning even more bad things. This is all bad. But entrepreneurship. It was all entrepreneurship <laughs> stuff, man. Yeah. And that's just crazy. And when you're young, it's you, almost and, the same thing. Because I tell people, like, bro, like all the negative shit that I did, I've turned those same principles and values into something exactly. positive. Exactly. And now that I'm an adult, like, I see people that break the law is really dumb. Yeah. Like, when I see someone breaking the law or doing something illegal, it's like, bro, you're going to risk all that for this? Because in business, you learn what you're liable for, risk versus reward. You know what I mean? It's like, bro, there ain't a lot of reward for all that risk. You know? So I learned from doing drugs. I learned marketing. I learned connections. I learned packaging. You know, I learned, you know, face-to-face sales. I learned over-the-phone sales, you know? And that's the thing. When you're in high school, because we're talking about high school, mm-hmm. you're not there mentally because you don't have the right people around you. So your mindset is not where it needs to be because you're not surrounded around that. Right. And the benefit of today, day and age, you can surround yourself around those people virtually. Mm-hmm. See, but back then we didn't really have YouTube popping like that. We didn't really have Facebook popping like like. It, this it wasn't a thing. Instagram wasn't out. So I always thought anyone successful did illegal shit. That's what I'm saying. I you never had, knew that there was like a legal hustle. Exactly. That's all we knew. Yeah. So it's either you was going to be a rapper, an athlete, or a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. That was the only ways you can make money. Or like but, something super lucky. Yeah. Or you get you hit the lotto or something. Yeah. But the reality is, it's way more than that. And back then, it was only called businessmen. Mm-hmm. But when the lingo of an entrepreneur 
and that became a thing. And then becoming an influencer became a thing mm-hmm. when that word got invented. It changed everything. When you realize, hey, I can create content. I can be creative and make money. I can start a business and make money. Mm-hmm. And then it became cool to be an entrepreneur. And then mm-hmm. you realize all the bad shit you was putting your energy on mm-hmm. now became the thing that you shouldn't have put your energy on. And mm-hmm. it was a better and safer route. And this is the crazy thing. When I used to sell candy in school. And you was always at the ninth of grade, and so we never mm-hmm. really went to school together for sure. For nah, sure, no, I was in middle school. Bro. Oh, you wasn't even. <laughs> was, you was, was way, way younger. Okay, young. okay, okay, okay. How old are you? I'm 34. All right, you're four years older. Yeah. So when you were, I was in like sixth grade when you were in ninth grade. Yeah, exactly. That's so, how much the difference is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we used to play basketball together. So yeah. Oh, yeah. So basically, I didn't know that I can do these things mm-hmm. because I didn't have anybody to look up to that was doing those things other than my father and my father one day i asked my dad like what do you do like i would my mom asked me that all the time too she's like spec what do you do for like i'm confused (laughs) i don't know and i tell her she still can't figure it out but Mm -hmm. same thing i never knew what my dad did i never seen him go out and be an entrepreneur because he was never home Mm -hmm. i just seen him just pop up pop in like that was it i never had like sit down dinners with my dad and Mm -hmm. you know he was really absent but when he was there he was powerful on the things that he taught us me and my brothers and it was phenomenal so I didn't I never had anybody to look up to and say oh I want to be that so when the entrepreneurs start rising through the cracks of the dust of Mm -hmm. the you know I was like oh this is dope yeah bro people making millions with no employees millions no office oh my god off their phone ads yes and and the crazy thing is I was selling candy, and the people that were selling drugs was risking their life, mm-hmm. risking the spelt, and I was making more money than them selling With the candy. candy. The margins on candy are crazy. It was crazy. And the, the beautiful thing is I was in Kara City High mm-hmm. selling candy. But once I transitioned to the suburban school. The prices were up. It doubled. <laughs> I was like, oh, you going to pay a dollar? It went from 50 cent to a dollar. Now I'm really in heaven. Mm-hmm. Because now I go buy a 48-pack of Snicker bars mm-hmm. for $8. Now I'm making $48. On eight. I was happy when I was making 24 mm-hmm. I was just doubling it plus. But now it went crazy. So that showed me the value of the environment and how you can switch prices according to demographics. Demographics, need, supply and demand, whatever. I'm sure people like you, they throw in another dollar, whatever, you know. Exactly. And that's the first time I got put out of business because the school started seeing how much candy I was selling. And they put in candy. And they put the vending machines there. Mm -hmm. So that's when the first time I got put out of business, then I went home, my dad had the record label Mm -hmm. and it was a group called Piccolo. Mm -hmm. And they had massive songs in Miami. They was still legends in Miami. My dad had like 5,000 CDs, a bunch of boxes in there. So that's when I put on my entrepreneur hat too. I went and put headphones on people. I said, yo, give me 10 seconds of your time. And if you like this, this CD costs $5. Mm -hmm. Is that cool with you? All right, cool. So if not, I'm going to bug you. And you're going to listen to it sooner or later. So you might as well <laughs> knock it out now. And they'll put it on. I'll play their top three singles. Big Money Ballers. That's what they call it. Like they had these three anthems. Mm-hmm. I was selling them things like hotcakes. We sold over like 
We sold every last one of them. My dad came in the garage one day. I was wow. like, yo, where's all those CDs that was here? I was like, oh, I don't know. Just <laughs> <laughs> pocketed the bread. It's another business It lesson. was 100% profit. I had my guys that were selling candy wow. for me transition to the CD sales. There you go. And they don't know why they blew up in, uh, <laughs> in Davie area. That's it was because of me. We went platinum. So how did the money play out when you were in a group? Because I see like all these other groups on TV, you know, TLC, whatever, all these, you know, bands that are together. And normally what happens because there's so many hands in the pot that you'll end up like, where the fuck's the money? Right, right. So my dad was handling all the money and he didn't really do great in terms of investing and things like that. He made some bad decisions with the money and just just messed it all up. Were you getting paid throughout that, like the higher years of Pretty Ricky? Nope. I was living life. I was living life. Salary, nothing. nothing. Wow. Nothing. We was, I was having fun on life. He handled everything. So Mm -hmm. we were standing in the house together, the Blue Star Mansion. Mm -hmm. We was all together sharing rooms. Yeah. Sharing rooms on TV. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about it now, talking, that shit sound crazy right now. Sharing rooms. Sharing rooms and- Making millions, and he handled all the food, the uh, gas, and he used to still get mad saying that we ain't put gas in the uh-huh. car. I'm like, yo, where we get money from? Yeah, right. But that's when I used to do my hustle thing. So I never really cared because I was always self sufficient. I was always self sufficient, so it never really dawned on me I wasn't really getting paid like that because it was for the family. Like the goal was always to put all the family money in one pot. Mm-hmm. We have one leader. He managed the money. The money was best in his hands. And he was. we had this big vision where we was going to have this massive compound. Everybody was going to have the house on the compound, gated community mm-hmm. of our own community that we created. And we was looking forward to that mission. And my dad used to always say, like, this is no money. This is peanuts. Like, yeah. you know, it's a few millions. But where we headed, this is nothing. That was the, that was the family mission and mm-hmm. vision. So we was just getting behind it. So I was just playing my part. As one of the kids mm-hmm. that was a part of the mission, and we had our family meetings once a week, and it just didn't go right. And I feel my father didn't educate himself enough because in business is levels. And if you're not able to keep up with those levels, you're going to get left behind and you're going to drown. Mm-hmm. You're going to end up in quicksand. And it's going to be to a point where you're under that quicksand and you're going to freaking suffocate to mm-hmm. death. So in yeah, business, because like in business, it's like first you want like want to make the money, then you got to realize how to like invest the money. Then like it's like like taxes, exactly. and then it's like employees and overhead that gets like out of control. And then exactly, and then like like sometimes the higher you get, it's like damn, it was really easy over here, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So my dad never really got into that. Like we never had employees. Mm-hmm. We were the employees. Yeah. So he never had a freaking hire, interview, employees. Mm-hmm. Ever for the label. Just didn't happen, yeah. It was just us. So that's what I'm saying. If he was able to, you know, kind of get out of his shell on being the business owner with hiring and trusting more people, a lot of things wouldn't happen like that, Mm -hmm. the way it happened, because he could have opened up and got more advisory or advisory board, Mm -hmm. you know, getting mentorship from higher ups. And understand how to deal with corporate. Like, that's mm-hmm. the main thing. Like, you can be from the streets. And my dad was an influential street hustler. He's a legend. You talk to people, they you say my dad's name, they're like, oh, he's a, a freaking legend. Mm-hmm. Like, 
You had all the cars with the boom in the trunk. Yeah. He was literally the first person to start that. He put a cabinet in there, and they would tell you, like, he invented the boom in the trunk. And mm-hmm. Miami is known for bass in the trunk. My dad started that. That's but cool. That's crazy, right? But he never really took it to the next level in terms of business. And me having my business and having multiple employees and salary and W-2s and 1099s, like, all of that stuff is a part of running the business, but mm-hmm. we never got there, even though we made tens of millions of dollars it was all based on producers and, you know, he had a few 1099s because he had the producers, he mm-hmm. did partnerships, he did contracts, but we never had a machine, mm-hmm. you know, other than the record label. Mm-hmm. And I think what was necessary for us to get to where we had to go and be self-sufficient, we had to build a real label with real employees, the marketing department, the sales department, the A&R department. Like we was doing all this in-house. Merchandise, whatever. Yeah, but we had to have more than just partnerships. I feel like in order for it to the explode the way it needed to explode, it needed to have that. And my best assets for my businesses are in-house team mm-hmm. members, right? Hiring them in, adding on the team and blowing them up as employees and continuously training them and mentoring them to blow him up, which he never did. Mm -hmm. So I know that like there was a point where like pretty Ricky just, you know, fizzled out. And there was a time where you were probably wondering like, what the fuck am I going to do now? Yeah. Would you consider that like one of your darkest times or like, what were you doing in that interim? You know, it's crazy, bro. I never went through like a dark time. I know because I've known you this whole time. And it's like, you just always been really positive. Like yeah. I remember being at the house and people be tripping about something and you would just always be like scratching your head, but you'd be thinking about the solution. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I'm solution based. Mm-hmm. And I understand every problem is temporary. It's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Think about somebody who begged you for money or asked you for money or say, this is an emergency. I need help right now. And you check on them a month later, a year later. It's fine. Yeah. They're fine. Mm-hmm. It's all a mindset. So when you switch your mindset and you understand every failure is just temporary success, I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. I know this is temporary. Where I'm at right now, what I'm going through right now is only going to build character for the strongest spectacular in the future. Mm-hmm. So I don't even trip on a lot of stuff. When things hit the fan, I just let the smoke clear yep. and just let it settle. I know because a lot of times people are trying to do something and there's something really valuable and just not doing shit. Yeah, that's the game. Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't panic a lot. I don't. And I understand everything happens for a reason. I know that's cliche. Everybody mm-hmm. always say everything happened for a reason. But I truly believe God put things in place for a reason. But it's up to you to see where was the lesson mm-hmm. in that situation he just put you through. And too many people, they get blinded. They mm-hmm. focus too much on the situation versus on the lesson. Mm-hmm from the situation or the opportunity it's creating for a shift you know it's like if things aren't going your way it's creating a hole or like a movement to go in another direction and it's like you got to lean in with it instead of like trying to be so defensive and pretend like it's not happening or wonder why it's happening it's happening you got to accept it just take it in and i'm gonna give you a great example so my business one of my most stressful moments Mm -hmm. i wouldn't even say dark it was just stressful of not knowing the outcome. This probably was my one and only like stressful moment. Mm-hmm. Is when my business was at two hundred, like around two hundred and fifty thousand a month revenue. Facebook, yeah, and revenue. Facebook changed one thing and cut my revenue down to like fifty k. Mm. Now I had like 
$75,000 in overhead around that. Can't remember the exact number. You went to Mark Zuckerberg's house and just started. Yeah, slapped him around. <laughs> nah, but I was confused. Mm-hmm. And this is the power of masterminding. I had a mastermind that I'm a part of. For people that don't know, this is a group of people that are headed in the same direction, entrepreneurship, whatever, that meet up on a monthly basis. Of course. Napoleon Hill invented the mastermind. And when you actually have when you actually have a mastermind, it's a group of like-minded individuals who are all on the same path as you, usually all successful, and you meet together once a month and you talk about things that's challenging you. Mm-hmm. You could talk about personal challenges, business challenges. And I came to my mastermind and I say, hey, this is what I'm going through. I got five grand in my bank account. I was at 250000 a month. I made 20 to 50 grand every single month to bled me dry. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to figure it out. Give me some feedback. Everybody in the mastermind start pouring into me, pouring into me. Mm-hmm. By the time I left, a week later, I was at 100K. Mm. And I realized that your proximity is everything. And one of the best things I did was join organizations with like-minded individuals. So I decided to create my own organization like the organization that impacted me. Mm-hmm. So the average person who makes at least six figures in revenue can have the same experience I have what mm-hmm. I had when I got into my my pitfall. Of course. Which is called the power circle. So it's powercircles.org. Mm-hmm. So P-O-W-E-R-C-I-R-C-L-E-S.org. It's a nonprofit where we actually share resources which was a key element. They gave me all the resources. They gave me feedback based on the experience, not telling me what to do, but giving me the experience when they went through something similar. Mm -hmm. And then they gave me the confidence. And having that, I realized that more people need this. So I launched the power circle. So now you can be around other power players to power up on everything Mm -hmm. you got going on when you're going through those challenges. Because that's for the, sure. That's what you need. You need that support system. Mm-hmm. There's nothing worse than going through something and you tell somebody who can't relate and you telling them your mm-hmm. issue and either they want to go talk about some drama or they want to go to a club or something like Not that. Not solution-based, whatever. solution for you. They just saying, yo, you're good. Don't even worry about it. You're going to be straight. And they gave you no value. Or they jump in and they're like, yeah, that's crazy. That's and fun. make it worse. <laughs> and you're like... You want yeah. someone to say, oh, look, I've been through the same thing before. It ain't that bad. This is what you got to do. You got to adapt. You got to change boom, whatever boom, the solution. Yeah. Yes. And that's the value. Get out of the house. Do something different. Yeah. Something Push positive. You. Get, yeah. you, get you out of the... Because this is the thing. This I is, always tell people, like, bro, even Mike Jordan got a Pat Riley. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, even the most successful people in the world need somebody to see their blind spots because not everybody can see the, the big picture when you're in the frame. Yes. You know? That was dope, too. The big picture while you're in the front. You like that? Andre <laughs> Andre Harrell mm-hmm. was Diddy mentor. Cool. So Diddy had Andre Harrell. Mm-hmm. And then he got to the point, when you have a mentor, a mentor, if he's a great mentor, you will surpass him mm-hmm. if he did his job his right. His job, yeah. So Andre Harrell did his job correctly. And rest in peace, Andre Harrell. He did his job amazing with Diddy. He surpassed him. Now Diddy has... Ray Dalio as his mentor. Oh, that's dope. (laughs) So now it's time for him to surpass Ray Dalio Mm -hmm. because now he's mentoring. Ray Dalio is mentoring him. So it's going to be to a point where you outgrow your mentor. Mm -hmm. 
I outgrew my father as my mentor. So now Master P mentors me. That's cool. I was thinking about Master P the whole time because when you were talking like the compound and whatever, like I've seen his documentary and and bro, what he did was so interesting. Man, this man is a freaking genius. I never seen somebody. How long has been mentoring you for? Five years. Offici- five six years. Like officially, like yeah. How'd you link up with him? So Master P, I actually signed the artist, and then my artist was in a group with one of his artists, and I just wanted to meet him. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to meet him, and I. I know the artist was a part of the No Limit Records. And I was like, yo, I want to meet P. And he was like, man, P don't talk to nobody. Mm-hmm. P stayed himself. He's just with his family. I said, okay. Still want to meet him. Call mm-hmm. P on the phone. P like, yo, so what's up? I said, respect. I said, what's up? It's like, all right. I was like, all right, what's up? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I was like, man, I just want to see ways I can help or whatever. I know you don't really need nothing, but if it's any way I can add value to you, I want to figure it out and add the value to you. It's like, listen, I'm in and building relationships. And I didn't really understand that then when he first said it to me, but mm-hmm. it was like, I'm in and building relationships. I was like, all right, cool. And then I told him what I was doing. I said, I'm working with celebrities. I'm helping them make money online and I'm helping them build their social media at the time. That's what I was doing. He said, man, yo, Put uh, Eastwood, that was his name, put Eastwood on the phone. Got on the phone, gave Eastwood back the phone. He said, bring him to the house. <laughs> he got out the phone with, with P, and he looked at me and said, what you say to him? <laughs> he was like, he don't never invite nobody to his house. Like, nobody. You know how many people I try to bring around him? He would not let he nobody come around. Nobody. But he said, he told you to come? He's like, all right, come on. Went there, chopped it up with him, and that's where we started from. Mm-hmm. You know, I officially sent, like, my message to him, say, hey, man, I'm looking for guidance, mentorship. I'm doing this by myself. Mm-hmm. Really got no guidance on what I'm doing. You know, I got this far, sending my Forbes interviews, sending my Inc. 5000, fastest growing company in America. Like, I start sending them all this stuff. And then, you know, he say, let's build. So it just went from that. You know, we just start building. I call him, and when I need help on something, uh, some guidance on something. Mm-hmm. And I think you have mentors for certain things. Like I think P is my life mentor. I can relate. He got a, you know, brother in jail, like something happened to my brother. He mm-hmm. had one one brother like in the streets, you know, got a couple brothers in the street, had one on drugs. Like, you know, it's so much that he can relate, him being like the main person in the family, the, the family CEO, mm-hmm. right? So we we're, we're real similar. And he conquered multiple niches. He decided he wanted to be and play basketball. He ended up in the NBA, mm-hmm. played for Charlotte, and he played for Toronto. What I love about Master P, if he was like, oh, we selling CDs? No, we're going to make the CDs. You know what I mean? Like exactly. He's just like uh, cut he thinks the, out the box. I'm cutting the middleman out. And like I always wonder like with these artists that sign these contracts, it's like, what do you need a label for these days? It's being comfortable. Comfortable and understanding that you ain't got to put no work. It's the easiest way to get famous without putting the, the least amount of work in. Yeah, it's like, oh, we're going to handle your marketing. We're going to handle your exactly. marketing. But it's really like a pimp thing. It really is. It really is like. So the less the less work you put in, the less money you get. Imagine you're a girl and you'd be dancing all night and you come home and give someone the money and they just pay the bills. You know what I mean? It's like. That's what happened to me with my family, if Tell you want to think about, about it. it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so that's saying it's like, But nowadays, like, yo, you can have your own website. You don't need a platform. You, like, you are the platform, you know, yeah. nowadays. But people don't want to learn that, and they don't want to educate themselves I think, on it. You know what? I don't even think they don't want to learn it. I think that— They don't even know that there's something to learn. That, too. 
but I think that it's so laid out red carpet, it'll make you feel dumb to try to figure it out. Just sign on this dotted line, bro. It's That's it. You come into the business, you're like, okay, all the marketing is going to be the, done. That advance money, right? All the marketing is going to be done for me. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about it. They got a machine already oiled, ready to go. They done made all the mistakes. They already blew this artist up to the number one artist in the world. Like, who am I to come in and try to figure out how to beat out their marketing? Mm-hmm. You know, these guys already have A&Rs. This A&R did Usher Confessions album. I would say no. <laughs> yeah. So, like, when you start thinking about the big players they're bringing to the table, like, our album, the a and first, we a and our first album. We did our mm-hmm. whole first album by ourselves. We had another guy named, I think his name started with a D, Daryl Damon. That mm-hmm. was his name. But by the time Damon came in as the a and the album was done already, right? We only added a few more records with him. But the second album, guy named Daryl Jones, he did Usher Confessions album. Mm-hmm. So all of these different things was already put to the table. Yeah. So an artist, you know, me, I'm the type of person I want to put my hands on it. I want to have a grip around it. So I was real instrumental in Pretty Ricky's success on social media because I was in it. Mm-hmm. I was the lead of the campaign. I was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Ideas. Like I was that guy pushing the whole brand. I was the VP of, really the VP marketing. of the marketing for Blue Star Records. I was the person that pushed all of that. Mm-hmm. So for me, I will want to build a team around it. But the average person will want to do that because they don't really see, one, the value. Two, they feel like the energy could be put more towards the creative versus the business end. And I was always on the business part of it. Yeah, you know. But I was just quiet because- Music industry was never my thing. I never really cared about it. I didn't, like, there's a lot of snakes in the music industry. You got to watch your back. And even then, it's like vampires. You're not a vampire. Mm-hmm. But when you get bit by a vampire, you become a vampire. Mm-hmm. And that's what was going on in the industry. People that was normal people, they came in, they get bit by the blood suckers. Yep. They suck them dry. And then all of a sudden, they erodes into this vampire mm-hmm. too. Now they biting people and sucking blood out of people. Mm-hmm. I just didn't like that. What do you think like the worst betrayal you felt in the music industry where you felt like someone really did you dirty? Oh, man. I wrote Grind On Me with my brothers. We wrote Your Body with my brothers. And the producers, they took everything. Wow. Because we didn't know no You guys better. wrote it. We wrote it, and they got a bigger percentage than us. Hmm. And a producer is just someone who puts up the bread, right? No, they're the one who do the The mastering or the production of it? Yeah, yeah. They do the production. So they took majority of some shit we wrote. Mm. We had to pay for the ground on me beat like three times. Wow. Imagine me paying you for something. You say you good. And then you say, hey, you wasn't good. Pay me a little bit more. This thing blowing up. I pay you again. And then we sit down with the record label. They say they never paid me. Huh. And then you got to pay again. And we're like, yo, we paid them. But not knowing about business like that, contracts wasn't in place correctly. Mm-hmm. It's on handshakes. Yeah, it and, took me a long time yeah. to be like, because when people send you something, they want you to sign it right there. And it's like high pressured. And I always feel like if someone's ever pressured me to do something right away, it don't feel right. Yeah. Like if I can't send this to my attorney before I sign it, like what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? That, like, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if you don't want no one else seeing this, like what's in here that you don't want me to sign? You yeah. Know, or you want me to sign so fast? Yeah. But that's all like mm-hmm. beginner stuff, man. Right now, I done built so many businesses. This year, I got two companies going to make the fastest growing companies in mm-hmm. America list. I think I'm going to be like on the top 5,000. I think we're going to end up like 2,000. Another one probably ends to be like. Mm-hmm. 3,000. 
So it's around that area, but out of 15 million companies. Can I ask you about the Chris Brown thing? What Chris Brown? Was there a Chris with the... With the red draws? No, with the Chicks mixtapes. Oh, Tory Lanez. Oh, yeah, yeah, my bad. Tory yeah, yeah, Lanez. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> so um, I saw that because, like, I saw what happened. like, during the pandemic or whatever, you're just mm-hmm. like, bro, like, you're supposed to pay me for the track. You never pay me yeah, for the track. Because yeah. I remember I was listening to it, and I thought it was dope because yeah. I was like, bro, I ain't seen... Like, all these old R&B songs come out. You know yeah. what I mean? So, like, yeah. what happened with that? Did, with, did it with, get settled? So, what happened with Tory was, when I signed the artist from the West Coast, mm-hmm. I came out with a label called Moolah Music Group. And this is when I would start making all this money. I'm freaking killing it. I'm making millions of dollars mm-hmm. for the first time in my business. And, um, and once I started making, you know, all these millions of dollars and investing and making 10x on that money, those millions, it was just, I was just flowing in money. And I decided to become a solo artist. My group was split at the time. Mm-hmm. I was just like, you know what? I want to create a multiple source of income. And I say, hey, if I blow myself up as an artist, I know the marketing, I understand all of this, I have the money, and I wanted to put out a record. So I put out a record, Rich Homie Quan was hot at the time. Yep. Tory Lanez was bubbling like crazy. He was on fire. So I decided to get, and I put my artist on the record. And I wanted to blow my artist up because really I wanted to put my artist out. He had a record with Chris Brown. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to freaking, anybody Chris Brown touched turn into gold. But mm-hmm. we had troubles clearing it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to just put my stuff out first while mm-hmm. we get this together so I can really put you out as the artist. Because I I wanted to just create another stream of income. So I put Rich Homie Quan, Tory Lanez. So Tory Lanez, I was his, one of his first features ever. Mm-hmm. I end up paying Tory Lanez for the feature. And when I paid him, he said, man, everything is good. And I know better. I knew Tory Lanez before he even blew up. Mm-hmm. Like I said in one of my videos, like when he was sleeping on a couch, like grinding with Sean Kingston, right? He was in grind mode. Mm-hmm. And in Miami all day, he wasn't even an artist at all. He was on the come up. So I knew him since then. So I'm thinking we good. So I paid him. I feel like, all right, I'm going to give you some money. I don't pay. This is my first time ever paying for a feature. But you want me to pay you? I'm going to pay you. So I pay him for the feature. So once I paid him for the feature, he swore me down like, yo, you good? I said, yo, you got to sign the paper mm-hmm. for the clearance. And he's like, man, I got it, man. I got to have my lawyer look at it. I ain't want to yeah. pressure him about it. So I was there to do the feature. He was only going to be in L.A. for that day. I had to catch him. So I was like... I'm in an awkward position. I need my paperwork signed. It's like, bro, I paid you. Sign the paper. Exactly. But he's saying he wants his lawyer to look at it. I don't want to put the pressure on it, but he's swearing me down. I'm good. Mm-hmm. He promised me he's going to sign it. I got his word. He swear to God, all this extra. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, uh, you know what? I gave him the money. I said, all right, I'm going to take the risk on this. Swear me down. We good. I know you for a long time. We good. It's mm-hmm. like me and you come, you're like, yo, Spec, course, I bro. got you, bro. Like, yeah. you know, you ain't got to worry about it. I'm going to sign the paper, bro. You good. Trust mm-hmm. me on it. Trust me, bro. Like, you know one of those dudes yeah. like, bro, trust me, bro. Got you. Yeah. Like, look in my eyes, bro. Like, <laughs> you good. Like, he's one of those. I was like, you know what? Cool. He do the record. Mm-hmm. I didn't even like the record. The original version, he did the re- original version. And the original version was actually better than his version. Mm-hmm. But it was Tory Lanez. So I'm like, you know what? Tory Lanez on the hook. Rich Homie Quan verse, my artist on there. I do the first verse. All right, cool. So the record, climbing the charts. I go on this nationwide promo tour. I hit every radio station. My dumb ass ain't even doing no social media push. And that's what I was a king of. I feel dumb as hell even saying that. But lesson learned. So 
I did this whole radio tour. I went city to city, over 30 cities, Atlanta Record, watching the record. The CEO of Atlanta Record who signed Pretty Ricky. He's like, I'm watching it. His label snatched my record off the internet. I spent 25 grand mm-hmm. for the music video. He tried to charge me more money for the music video. To do the video? To do the mm-hmm. video. I never paid nobody ever in my life to do a video. Paid them for the music video. Mm-hmm. So now I'm in it with the feature. Paid him for the feature. Top dollar. Paid him For the video. For the video. Had to pay to promote the record. Of course. So the promotion for the record came up to like 250 grand mm-hmm. to push the record. The promo, paying for my staff. I had my DJ on the road with me. I had dancers. I had all of this stuff because I wanted to leave No Rock Unturned. Mm -hmm. And I'm leaving my business to come do this. Now, my business is flatlining. I went a whole year with not one extra customer. Hmm. As my company was growing by millions and millions, every single year is growing. And when I took my eye off of it, it flatlined. And then it started going down. And my team calling me, Speck, we need you. We Where need you, you. And I'm just like, y'all got it, man. I trained y'all. Y'all good. Mm-hmm. I took my off the business. So Tory Lamb, I called Tory Lamb. I'm like, yo, what's up, bro? Like, man, you good? You straight, bro? I'm telling you, you good, man. I got you. Don't don't trip. Still selling me this dream. Mm-hmm. It's like, bro, they snatched my shit down off, the, off YouTube. Man, I'm going to hit him up, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, who is this? He was like, man, I don't even know those people. That ain't my team. I was mm-hmm. like, bro, this is the people. So they sent the... Uh, cease and desist mm-hmm. to all of the freaking radio stations. So now my label are like, man. Now they're looking at you like you fucked they're up. They're like, spec, don't even trip. We good. So now the radio station that's supposed to go into the next, like the massive, like Push. this the over the top. I hit top 20 on the charts. Mm-hmm. The record label is looking, Atlanta Record is looking at it now. The CEO watching the record. We go in for the next push, season the assist come, they're scared to push the record because you can't push the record if they tell you to pull it down. Mm-hmm. So all my money burnt. I never got one booking. I was turning out all the bookings for people wanting to book me mm-hmm. because it wasn't enough money. I didn't want to come in at this low cost because I wanted them to pay me what I wanted to get paid. So I just was doing things for pro bono saying, hey, you owe me a favor. Mm-hmm. So I spent 350 grand. And he got my record snatched off the radio. He got it snatched off of online. And I was so turned off, I never even put the music video up. Mm. So 350. And then when I seen him, like, oh, Spec, you mad at me? You mad at me? Yeah, no shit. And then after that, he do grind on me over. Oh, that was after that. Oh, no. Ain't pay me a dime for it. Can't you send them the same cease and desist or you just didn't? Me, I'm the type of person where I felt like he needed it. So I wasn't really, I was trying to be the bigger guy. Mm -hmm. Instead of doing eye for eye, tit for tat. I just was like, you know what, bro? Whatever, man. I charged it to the game. Mm -hmm. I ain't snatching shit down. I could have did him the same exact way. Then he did your body. I said, oh, this dude is a fan. <laughs> yeah, he loves Pretty Ricky. And then he did. So I'm saying, you love Pretty Ricky, but you charged me to get on my record. Of and course. you did me the way you did me. Mm-hmm. At the 350, this, I wasn't in the, like, I was at record plant, $2,500 a night. I was in there for like three months doing my album mm-hmm. as an independent artist. 
and you did me like that as an independent artist, spending three fifty. Like, what independent artists do that? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm putting it on the, under my own label. So it just pissed me off, bro. And he did your body, but we end up clearing your body for him too. Wow. So like, you know, I know there's a lesson in all this. So like, how does that affect you now? Like, how do you deal with life, you know, like compared to like someone else, you know? That I mean? was the best money I lost in my life. Mm-hmm. I've never been so happy to lose 350 grand in my life. First lesson, take your pen and your pads down. <laughs> First lesson, never take your eye off the prize. When your business is doing great, it's when you double down, you put all your chips in. Mm. You because start focusing harder on it. You go harder. You started to walk away from it. I walked away. Because you could have made that 350 in one month, one week. I could have made it yeah. easily. My business was growing so fast. Mm-hmm. My business did like 60000 the first year. The second year was at 700000 Third year was at $2 million. Like it was just growing like crazy. And I'm over here trying to get $10,000 a show, $15,000 a show. And I got my business freaking on fire. You know how much shows I would have had to do just to keep up with the growth of my business? Yeah. So that was the first lesson. Never go through the honeymoon stage. When your business is going great, you figure out how to put the foot on the gas even harder. Mm -hmm. That's when you go harder because now you see it's working. Now you want to put all your effort, all your energy and just max out. Second lesson, when creating multiple streams of income, you invest in others. You invest in other companies. You invest in assets that can run itself without you. I had to be the person to go do shows. I had to be the person to put out music. It took my energy away from me. Mm-hmm. But if I would have took that same 350 and put it in real estate, I would have made millions off of it. Yeah. I would have had many houses I wanted to have making residual every single month off of that. I could have invested in a company that I wanted to launch. But instead of me launching it, I found somebody who was already doing it, give them my idea that I have, let them run it, and now I'd be an advisor for the company and bring my skill set to help accelerate it. So I would never jump into a company that I can't help accelerate it. Mm-hmm. Third lesson, when you get into a company, you want to invest in companies that you can add value to it and only swing at balls you can hit. Number one lesson I learned from Warren Buffett. Only swing out balls you can hit. There's a million ways to make a million dollars. You can sell mics. You can sell water. You can sell tables. There's a million ways to make a million dollars. There's somebody right now making $100 million off tables mm-hmm. right now. There's a person just hit a million dollars in a day selling mics. So I'm only swing at balls I understand how to hit. I don't know how to hit fast balls. I ain't swinging at fast balls. I don't even know how to, I don't know yeah. how to hit sliders. That's, that's uh-huh. it. That's the only thing I'm going to hit. I ain't throwing, I ain't hitting and swinging at no curveball. I'm gonna see all everything gonna fly right past me. Mm-hmm. I don't care. So that was the third lesson I learned. Fourth lesson is money is the power. Never give up the power until you get everything you want. Get the contract signed, whatever you want in the negotiations. Everything need to be set before you hand over the power. Because the money is the power. Once you hand that over, the power is no longer in your field. Mm-hmm. It's no longer in your court. You relinquished it. You don't have it no more. Now the power is in their hands because they now have the money. So get everything you need before you hand over that money. You know, I learned that in the drug game. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, no, it's a principle that um gets clouded when friendship is involved. It's a principle that gets clouded when you've known someone a long time because, you know, you follow procedure and protocol every single step of the way when you don't know somebody. 
But when you know somebody, you start to get lenient. You let this slide. Oh, you know, you could just email that to me. Yeah, business is business. It's the lesson. 1,000%. No matter who it is. Even if you're doing something free for somebody. Mm -hmm. Because even shows I did free and shit wasn't right and put together. Make sure you got a process to approve whatever your name is going to be on. And then the second thing is make sure even if you're doing it for free, it maps out everything you're doing for free. You put a price on what you just did for free Mm. to let them know the value of it. And then once you let them know the value of what you just gave them for free, you make them sign it. So now they know the value you just gave them for free. They're still an invoice. And then you void it. Mm -hmm. So now they understand the value. They understand what they have to do on their end contractually, but it's still free. That's cool. That's something I'm going to write down. That's dope. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's still like a paper trail. Because let's say we have an issue the years later. I'm like, look, bro, I did this for free. And look at what it would have cost you to do it anyways. And then when someone does that, if, if someone would have done that to me, I'm like, damn, that's a bad motherfucker. <laughs> this motherfucker didn't just say he was going to do it for free. He wrote up an invoice of what it would have cost me. Yeah. Had me sign it, then voided it and send it to me. And then you're dealing it's with player. someone. You're like, bro, this dude's like serious. On your shit. Because even if Gotta it was, respect even it. if it's free or if it was a million bucks, his protocol and procedures don't change. That's cool. And that's how you do it, bro. Mm-hmm. You always and this is another thing. It gets cloudy when you just talking. Yeah. So you gotta have not only a paper trail just for evidence, mm-hmm. but paper trail just so it's clarity. I have things with my employees like, yo, remember last year you said that after a year I would get a raise or I'm like, I do not remember that conversation, Mm -hmm. you know? There are just things that I like emailed back and forth after Mm -hmm. the conversation so we can all say I'm on the same page. Even with like friendships and stuff like that. Like there are times where, you know, miscommunication is 80% of people's uh, agreements. 100%. Oh, I thought you meant it this way. No, I meant it that way or whatever. Yes. And you know what I do for that? Even with my team. You will say something and then they'll go out and they'll go execute. This used to be my meetings with my team. Mm-hmm. I sit down with them. All right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. All right, you ready? Hoorah, let's go. Rah, rah, rah. And then I come back and then I'll say, hey, how is this going? Oh, you said to do blah, blah, blah. I was like, hold up. I didn't say that. So they interpret what I said differently. So I'm thinking that they understood me and they, they're going out to take action on what I said to them. But mm-hmm. in reality... They got something totally different. So when I'm talking to my team and I'm coaching my team and they got to take action on something, once I finish everything, I make them repeat Mm. what they heard to confirm that you understand what I just told you. You know what I like to do is uh, we'll role play a scenario to make sure that you're going to do it the way that I wanted you to do it. And oftentimes when we do it like that, I'm able to say like, no, that's not, that's nowhere near what I wanted, you know? Exactly. But like it gets everyone aware on the same page. And I don't think there's, like, even if I make a meeting with somebody, I like to confirm three times that it's going down. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because I just want to know for sure, because I know that you're busy and I'm busy or whatever. I just want to have it executed on time. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you something. Craziest stalker you ever had? Oh, man. So I used to... (laughs) I used to do, I like, when I was in my grind mode uh-huh. and in my uh, multiple string of income mode, I started a promotion company to start promoting for these clubs. And I used to go there and check on the club every single night that my event was going on. And I used to have this girl just standing at the door waiting for me every 
time. She used to give people money for me. Hey, tell Speck, here goes some money for him. Give me gift cards. Wow. Everything. How old were you at this time? I mean, this was when I was in Miami before I went to, to LA. Uh, LA. She used to catch a bus from West Palm Beach all the way to Miami to come to the club night. Mm. Every event. Every event, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. And then when she found out I had a girl, like, it was just like, she was just like, she ain't right for you. Like, I was like, oh, my God. That's not that crazy. I figured you'd be having girls, like, knock on your window or fucking chase chase your car down. Nah. Nah, I never had that. Like, I I had fans in moments, Mm -hmm. like, jump down two-story, built, like, (laughs) like, they done did stuff like that, like, uh, stadium walls to Mm -hmm. chase us backstage or end up, like run and tackle me on stage like i done been through stuff like that but like yeah. a, a real life just stalkerish nah. moment nah okay the most i get is like a girl dm me every freaking day <laughs> like it gets so annoying she dms me every single day forever wow. and, and then one girl <laughs> one girl forever. A, forever bro infinity right I'm like 150 dead and gone and she's still texting me. <laughs> and then like it's another person that I have a phone number that I talk to my my supporters uh-huh. on. Text me every day talking to themselves. Mm. I just don't get it. But I guess, you know, persistent takes away resistance. Of course. That person might put that energy into something else. Yeah, man. When you were growing up, who was like the most influential artist out there that you were really like looking towards? Tupac. Tupac. Tupac was the man. He was one of my first verses I ever rapped, mm-hmm. just rapping along. And then Snoop. Snoop was dope. And then Bone thugs and harmony was number three. Yeah. Yeah, that was the trio Yeah, Bone right Thugs there. was tough back yeah. in the day. And then Biggie. Biggie was, you know, complimentary mm-hmm. of Pac. But yeah, it was definitely, those were the four. How about now? Now? It's I'm, more like entrepreneurship people. I don't really hip-hop. listen to music. Get out of here. What do you mean? I don't listen to music, What do you bro? listen to? Podcasts. Audio books. Wow. I don't like when I'm on vacation, I would listen to music. Like mm-hmm. if I come down to Miami or whatever, you, I might turn the radio on or something. Like I don't I don't But if you're driving, you're listening to podcasts or audiobooks. Or silence. Wow. Yeah. I don't listen to like I don't have Spotify. I don't pay for Spotify. You don't have Spotify? Nope. I don't have uh what is the other one? Apple Music. You like the drug dealer not doing drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bro. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't listen to I just hear it in passing, so I would I would get glimpse so I know what's hot and what's not yeah. based on social media. But I don't get in my car and just listen I don't like I don't I never created a playlist before. I never get out of here. That's so crazy. Yeah, never. What about when you work out? Audiobook. What are like top five audiobooks you tell someone to listen to? Influence. That influence you. Influence. That's a It's a book called book. Influence. Mm-hmm. It's a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh-huh. Classic. The Business Bible, mm-hmm. Think and Grow Rich. Of course. Disrupt You. It's a great book. The Richest Man in Babylon is a book everybody should read on their journey up. The Four Hour Work Week, phenomenal book. I like The Third Door. Never heard of it. The Third Door is a dope book because it talks about scrappy beginnings. Mm-hmm. So many people interview the people on the top and how they made it to the top versus what was the scrappy shit they did you mm-hmm. know, to get to the top. And that's why I love that book because it talks about the grind mode mm-hmm. and all the like little trickery stuff they the had to process, do to get on. Bro. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a lot of books 
that talk about that, mm -hmm. that interview successful people that talk about the scrappy phase. That's cool. Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Yeah, so good. That book is dope because mm -hmm. it, it just really tapped you into. What That's what I'm, got me into running, bro. What I'm tripping for. Mm -hmm. That book makes you think like, what I'm tripping for? I'm tripping right now. Bro, I would be running and I'd be like, you know what? My sock is loose on my right foot. I should stop. Like the things that I would complain about while running were so minuscule compared to him. Yeah. His feet are bleeding. And he's yeah. Running. He got broken legs and he's running. Oh my God. You know what I mean? So like, so now when I compare like what I'm complaining about, I know that it's, it's a physical thing that is not that serious and that my mental capacity is way stronger than that. Exactly. But my biggest thing I took from him is that when you think you're all the way done, oh, yeah. you're only 40%. Yeah. yeah, you still oh, got more in you. Yeah. Taking souls. Yeah, taking souls. Yeah. <laughs> take, I, I just read a, I, I read a bunch of books, but I read Relentless by Tim Grover. It was oh, incredible. Man. Relentless book. is fire. You that know another so great book? Principles by Ray Dalio. Yeah. Oh, my God, bro. I'm going to check it out. Oh, my God. Classic, classic Bible. Like These are like the business Bibles, bro. Mm -hmm. You know what I read that was simple and cool was Russ's book. It's called It's All in Your Head. And I'm not like a Russ fan. I don't listen to Russ. But his book was incredible, bro. Just mm. about like manifestation and discipline and not giving up. But it was yeah. like so simple. It's like a little tiny book. Yeah. Uh, I love autobiographies. I read Mike Tyson's book, Undisputed. Did you read... Matter of fact, I just met Mike Tyson too. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing my new thing when I'm doing like recording all my content. Mm -hmm. And uh I seen him at the airport and I sit yeah. down, I'm talking to him. And then I, I have love my Mike Tyson, I have my bro. guy record, right? That's and he's cool. talking and he, and he looks up. He's like, hey, put that down. So he put down the camera. And then afterwards he was like, shit, man, that was epic. I got told, put that fucking shit down by Mike, Mike Tyson. Tyson. <laughs> yeah, he was gas, huh? Oh, uh, man. But yeah, Total Rico. You ever read that book? Uh-uh. Oh, my God. It's a must read. Who, it's by who? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Really? Yo. Him and Master P is like neck to neck. with Arnold the... Schwarzenegger and Master P? Yeah, it's like neck wow. to neck based on conquering industry. So uh, Master P wanted to, uh, he wanted to play basketball. basketball. He made it to the NBA. NBA. He wanted to be a drug dealer. He was the biggest drug dealer. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be an artist. He was the best artist in the world. He wanted to create a label, had one of the biggest labels in the world, signed the biggest artist mm -hmm. and freaking did his thing. Wanted to come up with movies, did his own movies. Bowed it, bowed it. I got the hookup. Like he created his own movies and put these in movie theaters. He decided he wanted to create a clothing line. He created a clothing line, mm -hmm. right? He wanted to do real estate, create a real estate empire. Basically, everything he put his mind to, he conquered on the Schwarzenegger. He wanted to be a bodybuilder. He became the number one bodybuilder on the planet. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be in politics. He became governor. the governor of the biggest state in the United States. He conquered real estate, too. Wanted to do real estate, conquer real estate. He wanted to get into acting. He became the number one paid actor ever at the time he was acting. Mm -hmm. Like everything he put his hands on, he turned to gold. Everything. And he wrote the book? Like he wrote the book. That's cool. It's his book. That's dope. I'm going to check those out. Fire, bro. Who's like a celebrity that you met that like when you met them, you totally were like, well, I did not expect them to be like that. Or like super cool or, or whatever. Diddy. Like, Diddy? And that was the first time that I was like, yo, I'm next to fucking Diddy. <laughs> like it was one of those moments for me. Like, damn, I'm like, I'm sitting here in Malibu. Watching the ocean, freaking two-story, like, 
with Diddy. It's just me and him. Like mm-hmm. this dinner is for us to connect, right? It was a moment for me. That's I was cool. like, okay, this is dope right now, right? And this is how you know you added value to the world when people like that want to connect with you and build with you. Mm-hmm. So you can, I mean, you can sit with anybody. Yeah. Like, yeah, like you ain't got to take couple hours out of your day and sit and talk to me and have dinner and have the chef come. It's just me and butlers bringing water and shit. Like <laughs> it's just us, you know what I'm saying? So that's when I understood like, okay. Yeah. And, and he's cool as shit. His energy is contagious. Like he's just a dope individual. So my question is, is that like when people make, cause I have a friend, his uncle's a billionaire or whatever. And bro, this dude still wakes up every day trying to amass more. And I'm like, is it coming from like a point of like, I want more money or are they just so in love with the hustle or is it just, this is the only way they know how to be that this is actually actually their comfort zone? I think that's what they love to do. Yeah. I think they love success. Mm-hmm. I think they want to be the best them. And then you get to the point where you get so high, you want to help others succeed too. And yeah. I think Puff is like that too. He want to see everybody win around him. Okay. Yeah, like Master like, P, I can respect he get up that. and he yeah. just like, he up like five in the morning and he's thinking about the bag, like we about to run it up. <laughs> and he got it. And it's just his mentality on how he moved mm-hmm. and how he wants to do things. But yeah, I think that when you get to a certain level, you want to just max yourself out. You want to just stretch yourself as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just so much more to do in, in life. So I don't think it's ever to be comfortable. Of course. Yeah. I guess that's it, bro. I appreciate you coming out here, man. You killed the podcast. Much you love. know, I hope in a couple years we're doing the podcast again and see you, um, you know, continue to be successful, bro. Like, I love seeing people follow their dreams. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it don't have to be money. It don't have to be, like, whatever. But when someone has a dream that they're, like, scared to talk about because it sounds stupid or whatever, oh, I'm just like, bro, sure. you got to do that shit. Like, whatever it is, whether it's to be a finger painter, what do you got to do? You know, like, my one friend does... um He's like a professional dancer now, but like for years he couldn't dance. He's just like a white boy, you know, and now mm-hmm. he dances professionally. I think it's like so cool to see people live their dreams, bro. Yeah, man. And what this is the reality, even with your friend, whatever you put focus on grows. Mm-hmm. So he decided percent. to put focus on dancing. It don't matter if it was just gravel, mm-hmm. soil. He planted the seed, he watered it, he put focus on putting that water and making sure that sunlight hit it and it growed into mm-hmm. something. Well, I was telling someone the other day, it's like, you know, they were asking about like success or whatever. And I was just like, bro, I love the process and I love the grind and I love the challenge. That's what my I dream of, you know, mm-hmm. and making it when it's difficult, you know. And to them, they were like, well, you know, it's easy for you because you're passionate about what you do. I don't really know what I'm passionate about. And I was like, bro, if someone was selling windows and they were like every building you sell, you're going to make a hundred grand if you sell windows. Your ass will get passionate about them windows. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, bro, yeah, I'm passionate about what I do, but I'm also passionate because I'm able to see the outcome in it. You know what I mean? Like I could get passionate about anything if it's worth it to me. Yeah. You know? Well, I think people just got to get out of their comfort zone and get out of that lazy state. Mm -hmm. We're so used to things just coming easy for us. You and that's why I even make my son earn things. You want breakfast? You gotta give me some push-ups. <laughs> Get out of here. You gotta earn that's it. That's dope. And and once you build the mindset, that's a real it, blue star mentality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if if you if you reprogram yourself and understanding that shit ain't coming. easy for you and nothing is going to get dropped in your lap and you got to work for everything you want to get in life Mm -hmm. then you kind of start thinking differently you understand you can be that white boy that couldn't dance to become a one of the best dancers on the Mm -hmm. planet you realize that's possible but 
you got to put the work in Mm because especially when your talent is at five, six out of 10 and you really want to get the paid like somebody that's on 10, you got to put the work in Mm -hmm. to catch up because you got some catching up to do. You figured out something that you can get behind and that's what the world got to figure out. They Mm got to figure out what is something I can get behind? What comes easy for me but harder for the next man? How can I put focus on this so I can outwork everybody and still be me Mm -hmm. at the same time? Amen. Love you, bro. I appreciate you so much. Quick question. How's uh, Blue doing? He's good, man. He's good? He's good. He's breathing good. Uh, you got to relearn how to breathe and how to walk with breathing the way he breathed right mm-hmm. now and re-strengthen his lungs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, got shot right at the top. Um, and the bullet, the bullet went top shoulder. How many times was he shot? Once. Oh, wow. He tried to... So they pointed the gun at my cousin, and he tried to stop me. He didn't know if he was going to kill him or not, so he grabbed the gun and tried to save my cousin, and the bullet, and I mean, the gun Was this actually in the parking lot? In the parking lot. The so gun. he was in the parking lot leaving the bowling alley? He wasn't leaving. He was just going outside to talk. Wow. Yeah. With $150,000, you know, chain on. Chain on. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then someone just pulled out a gun, tried to point it at his cousin, and he jumped in front of it? Yeah, he grabbed it. He grabbed yeah. it. Okay. He grabbed it. He grabbed it and started wrestling with the guy, and it went off. Did this dude go to jail? Did I don't he catch know. who I it was? I know. I didn't hear anything yet. Wow. All right. Well, praying for him. Hopefully, he gets a speedy recovery, bro. Yes, sir. Hey, listen. If y'all listening to this right now, make sure you guys <laughs> subscribe. Make sure you guys leave a comment below and also hit that review. And also, I have a podcast called The Spectacular Experience. So if you guys want to tap in on my podcast, check it out. Talk about great things, too. Got to even interview you for my podcast. Anytime, bro. Yes, sir. So much love. Love you, bro. If you guys want to check me out, I actually do a four-hour training on how to build your social media account and actually how to start an online business and and how to get to six figures. If you guys are trying to get to six figures, we can help you guys get that accelerated pace. And uh, for those who are listening to this, um, you can check me out at spectacularmasterclass.com. Check me out if you want to find me. Find me there. Let's go. That's what's up, bro. I appreciate you. Much love. Have a good one. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.